0: Well, good morning. good morning. Happy Labor Day. So glad you're here with us this weekend. And so thankful for our kids' own volunteers systematically teaching the kids the Bible week in and week out. So thankful for them. And for our nursery workers voluntarily, uh, consistently showing up. So thankful for them. So if you had 86 days to live, I'm wondering if God being king would be a source of joy in your life. So if you knew November 27th was your last day... uh, Would the fact that God reigns over everything be a source of joy, or would that just maybe be a source of frustration that God would let that happen? So, true or false, the reader uh, of the book of Ecclesiastes must never forget that this book of exuberant, fierce, and hard-driving joy. So as you've been in the book of Ecclesiastes for the last couple weeks with with me, Would you say that that is true or false? That the book of Ecclesiastes is one of exuberant, fierce, and hard-driving joy? Hmm. The basis of this joy is the principle of divine sovereignty, or the fact that God is king. Okay, we'll come back to this. I heard very mixed answers to this. We were kind of all over the map. On this, on this answer, so we'll come back to this at the end of the service. So be thinking about this, uh, like this morning is, uh, as the text we're going to look at in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, would you say this is true or false? So as I mentioned, we're doing a series on Ecclesiastes, and it's a call to live life backwards, and I think maybe what's been missed so far is this is an idea that it is a call to live life, like this is about how to live life now. Knowing that this life will end. So it's a call, knowing that this life will end, how should you live right now? And I'm saying the the, the author, Ecclesiastes, wants you to live joyfully right now, knowing that this life is not forever. Now, having the bigger, longer view, we know that eternal life does go on forever. So we have even more joy than the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. But this is a book about joy in life right now, based on the idea that God is king. Before we see that, let me go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your... um, Your reign over all things, good and bad. And Lord, I pray that you would help us live in your joy. Lord, stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. Talk over me while I talk to them. This is the only way any good will come of this. Bless us and keep us, in Jesus' name, amen. Here we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. And again, I'm going to argue that God is king from this text, and that This is the point of this text about seasons, that God is king over whatever season you're going through, and just like in the middle of December, you can't will it to be spring. It's going to be spring when it's spring, and no matter how hard you try, you can't make it be spring any faster than God allows it to be spring when March rolls around, or May rolls around, or whatever it happens to be. But you're, you're kind of at the mercy of the seasons, and God is in control of the seasons. This is the idea here. So, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time or a season to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up a time to weep, and a time to laugh. So, so a question I'm going to come back to is, what season are you in? So as we're reading this list of seasons, you've all been born, and none of you have died yet. So you're somewhere in between, and then there's this list of seasons, whether it's a time to weep, or a time to laugh, or a time to plant, or a time to harvest. Like, what season are you in? I'll talk about that in a little bit. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. The slower you read this, really, the better it is. But I have stuff I want to say about it, so we're going to keep going. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sew. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has a worker from his toil? Okay, did that hit you like a left hook? Kind of hit me like a left hook. So you have this beautiful poetry about the different seasons of life. And then you kind of come out of that expecting more beautiful poetry and then you get your life is a sandcastle that you've built elaborately and time will wash it away. Because what can you gain? Because life is short and everything you have will be washed away by time. Well, thank you. (laughs) That kind of helps me keep everything in perspective, I guess. But this is kind of the idea, isn't it? From Ecclesiastes that what gain is there because life goes so very fast and we have so very little control over it. Apart from God. So what gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And I I believe this is toil. That God has given us a good gift in the gift of toil, but it is also frustrating. So if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse, um, verse 10, he, and I'm going to start in the second sentence there, he says, I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Like, pleasure, there is pleasure to be had in work. You can enjoy your work. I mean, you can have joy from working, from accomplishing something, from finishing something, from sweating, from carrying something heavy. Like there's joy that comes from doing something complicated and having it come out right. But there's also vexation in work. So he writes in chapter Two verse 22. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with all which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity and of course we read last week I think or the week before like he's laying down but his mind is still up walking around because he's still stressing about his work. So on the one hand, work is very good, Genesis chapter 2. On the, one hand, on the other hand, work is very frustrating, Genesis chapter 3. And they're both true. And this is, I think, the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Praise God for that. That God is in charge and he is making every season good. He is bringing something good out of every season we go through. Also, that he has put eternity into man's heart so that he designed you to seek him. He he built into you a sense of discontent with this world so that you would seek him. But you're not going to fully understand everything he's doing because he's the creator and you're the created yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So C.S. Lewis talks about this, like sitting by the fire and writing, and his dog watching him, and him saying, it's kind of like me sitting there writing a novel and my dog sitting there by the fire thinking, I know what he's doing. (laughs) What category can the dog have for writing a novel? What category can we have for understanding what God is doing? Yet I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be. Okay, so, so I told you last week, I, I really think I, it's good to slow down when we see these phrases in the book of Ecclesiastes because he is brutally honest about life, brutally realistic, just ripping our sense of denial right off. And making us face reality that we're going to die, and that our lives that we're building our sandcastles that will be washed away. And so, this is really important that when he says, "There's nothing better than to be joyful." There's nothing better than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. He's like, here, here's the point: be joyful and also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. Man, can that sink in? Like, here's, here's the point. Stop stressing out about your legacy. Stop stressing out about what you're going to keep and what will last and how much control you have over what. And And here's the point. Just enjoy the work that God has given you to do today and look up and say thank you for this gift. Just come home and enjoy dinner with the people that you love and say thank you for this gift. And this is where joy comes from. So I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. This is the idea that God is king, that God determines seasons, that God does stuff that lasts, and we really don't. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. Do you get the idea that God is king from that? God has done it so that people fear before him. So you would have a a reverence for God who is king. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. This goes back to chapter 1. And God seeks what has been driven away, because he is king and he can do what he wants. So God is king. So, so, so what can you do with God being king? What can you do with the fact that God is king? Well, you can fight against that. You can live in denial of that. Or you can surrender to it. And this is kind of where I'm going with this, is the path to joy leads through surrender. The path to finding joy and God being king must lead through surrender. So there is a quote from Doug Wilson at the joy and the end of the tender. It's his tether, his uh, commentary on Ecclesiastes. He says, no one can find out that which God does. This goes back to chapter 3, verse 11. Remember, we talked about the dog watching C.S. Lewis write. No one can figure out what God does. The believing response is to throw up one's hands in faith, not despair, and have a good time. you agree with that or disagree with that? I know you disagree with it, because you're like, look, we're not supposed to have a good time because we're Baptist. (laughs) God doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be Baptist. Had to pound the pulpit. You you got the pulpit out just for that. So imagine you have a 10-year-old living with you. And you come out in the morning, and a ten-year-old's at the table, and empty bowl of cereal, and you're like, "What's going on?" You know, you look kind of tired and kind of haggard, and, and your ten-year-old is like, "Ah, oh, man, I haven't slept. I've only eaten just a little bit. I mean, I'm just so worried. Oh, like, well, what are you worried about?" Oh. I'm just worried that you're going to lose your job and that we're not going to have enough to eat. So I've been rationing my food and and I haven't been sleeping because I'm so worried we're going to lose the house. And and after school, I've been looking for work. and It's just so much. And I think you'd say to the 10-year-old, how about you let me be the adult and you be the kid? So what that means is... You're going to go to school, and you're going to work hard, but you're going to have a good time working hard. You're going to play your sports, and you're going to work hard, but you're going to have a good time playing your sports or learning your instrument or whatever it is you're going to do. You're going to be a kid, and you're going to enjoy life. But let me be the adult. What if God's looking at you, saying, let me be God. Let me be God. You be my kid. Why are you trying to worry and take control about stuff you have no control over? Let me be God. You do your work, and then come home and enjoy dinner. How about you do that? Can you do that? And I know you're like, look at what the text says. Chapter 3, verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. What if God is offering us a gift of joy that we won't accept because we're too busy trying to demand control? He is king. So what can you do? Well, you can surrender. This, this is what you can do. So Lisa Turkhurst is, a, is an author, and I, I listened to this book, not the way it's supposed to be, as I was getting ready for this year's um, marriage retreat in, in February. And I wanted to listen to a book about a marriage that didn't work. So I, I listened to this one, and it's uh, Well, let me read the first line. But it was the timing that seemed so very confusing. So she she had just found out that her husband was having an affair. She's sitting in a pile, like, weeping. Like, she's basically emotionally a puddle because she's found out that her husband has been cheating on her. And in the mail comes her book um, that she had written on how to deal with rejection. And so she has to proofread her book on how to deal with rejection as she's processing her husband's affair. And she looks up and is like, what is going? Why would you do this to me? Type type prayer. And she comes to this realization. She says, it was the timing that fed this intense awareness that no matter how well I plan things, I can't control them. Listen, I I remember where I was when I was listening to this, and it was like, it just hit me like a 12-gauge slug, (laughs) you know, like, because I kind of like to plan things, and I kind of like to control them. I don't know where you are with that, but I'm kind of a planner and kind of an organizer, and like, this is like, wow. It was the timing that fed this intense awareness that no matter how well I plan things, I can't control them. No matter how well I think I know the people in my life, I can't control them. No matter how well I follow the rules, do what's right, seek to obey God with my whole heart. And look, that's me. Like, I, I, I'm a rule follower. Like, I am by nature a Pharisee. Like, this, this is like I can't control my life. There's no formula that will give you control of life. There just isn't one. And the last line is what got me. I can't control God. All I can do is surrender to God. But surrender is where the joy comes from. Surrender is when you get to relax because you're not in charge anyway. Surrender is when you get to say, you're in charge and I'm your kid, so I trust you. So God is king, so what we can do with that is we can surrender. And what that means is that means you can enjoy whatever season you're in. So enjoy this season. Because what God is doing is he is doing something very good with the terrifically hard time you're going through. See, you can surrender to him because chapter 3 verse 11 is true, that he really is making all things beautiful in its time. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. So what it's like is it's like a loom. This is is a picture of a loom up here. And this is kind of the side that we see. And this is what God is doing. That's where the joy comes from. That's what we have to believe is that the top is his view. He sees everything that's going on and he is making it beautiful. And then underneath it, that's our view. And we look up and say, what on earth are you doing? I don't understand this. I hate this. Help me with this. But our joy comes from knowing that he is king and he is making everything beautiful and it's time. So, what that means is that you can enjoy this season, whatever season that you're in. So, so what season would you say you're in right now? I thought about this, and uh, I think, you know, the fall has kind, of, kind of come home to us that we're really in a season of transition. We have two of them that are growing wings and leaving, becoming more and more independent, and we have two more that are becoming more and more independent. Uh, I mean, we have one going into middle school, one going into high school, two in college, and it's a season of transition. There was a time when they were dependent, and now there's going to be a time when they're independent. There was a time when our house was full and crazy, and there's a time when our house is going to be empty. There is a time when our house was loud and deafening and you had to go outside if you wanted any peace. And there's going to be a time when our house is really, really, really quiet. What season are you in? What time is it at your house? Here's what we hold on to, no matter what the season is, that that God is making something beautiful out of whatever season that you're in. That he is beautifying something wherever you are, whatever you're going through. Man, this has been what I've held on to. I haven't used these words, but this is what I've been holding on to through some of the darkest, hardest seasons of our life. What I know about God, what I can trust about God is not that he will keep everything pleasurable or not that he will keep everything comfortable or not that he will keep everything according to my will. Because certainly that has not been true. But that he will use everything to make me more and more like Jesus. And he'll use everything to make my family more and more like Jesus. That's what I can trust. He's redeeming all of it for good. But here's the thing that I want you to have this morning. This is a thought that maybe Maybe you've had a lot. Maybe you haven't. This is what I want to push on. That God offers joy, but not control. I think that we want to pull those things together when the Bible would have us pull them apart. I think we'd think, I'd be happy if I could control things, Where God is saying, "You'll be happy if you let me control things." Is there something that you that God is whispering to you right now? Like you could you could let me have that. You you could give me. You could let me carry that for you. I mean, you could. Or you can keep trying to demand control of it. I mean, you can keep living like that if you want to. Not a lot of joy. Demanding control of stuff you can't control. Okay, so God is king. So what that means is we can surrender. And what that means is that we can... Enjoy this season. Now, how do you do that? How do you enjoy the season that you're in? I think that comes back to thanking God, gratitude for the daily grind that we're in, for where we are in life. I mean, did you see that? I perceive there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil for this is God's gift to man so look we work, we eat we drink and we are merry not because this is all there is so So the Apostle Paul, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's fighting the nihilists that say there's no resurrection of the dead. They're saying this is all there is. And Paul says, if that was true, then the nihilists are right and we might as well eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. You know, they're like, we might as well stay drunk as long as we can and enjoy as much sin as we can because we're all going to die anyway, so who cares? And you're like, but the author of Ecclesiastes says that's what we should do. Well, here's the difference. We don't do that because that's all there is. And we don't, we're not talking about staying drunk. We're talking about enjoying our work. We go and we do what God has called us to do. We enjoy dinner with a, and we give thanks not because this, that's all there is but because that's what God gives I mean, that's what your day is full of. Your day is full of work. Whether it's taking care of your house, or whether it's going and laying bricks, or whether it's programming computers, or whether it's chasing kids around, your day is full of work. Your day kind of has a rhythm around eating and drinking. What if God says, these are my gifts for you to enjoy? please look up and say thank you, and you'll enjoy them. Now, as I talk about control, there has to, in, in this room this size, there has to be somebody here that grew up in a controlling, abusive household going, I can't give anybody control. I just can't. I've had too many, I, too many bad experiences with control. I, I just hear that and, you know, I clench up and I tense up and I want to throw up and it's like I can't do it. Like, it's just kind of revolting when I think about control. I just want to remind you what God did with control. I want to remind you what God did with power. Remember what He did. He did not, Christ did not count equality with God as something to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. This is what he did with power. This is what he did with control. He died for your sins and for mine. He emptied himself and was tortured to death in your place and in mine. He paid your debt. He took your punishment. He bore your sin disease in your place. And then he was raised on the third day and conquered sin and death. You can trust this God with control of your life. Who else can you trust? with control of your life. Surrender to him. So true or false, the reader must never forget that this is a book of exuberant, fierce, hard-driving joy. The basis for this joy is the principle that God is king. So for the next 86 days, I'd invite you to rejoice in the fact that God is is king, and surrender control to him. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that you are in charge and we are not. Lord, help us take joy in that. You are the king, and we're your kids. In Jesus' name, amen.